I think people are grabbing water. <laughs> and then we'll open and pray. Let's, let's, uh, let's just start praying for a moment, Joe, while people are getting settled down. Hallelujah. Father, we just praise you and we worship you. Lord, we come before you with hearts open, ready to receive from you, ready to hear from your word, ready to receive what you have for us today. Father God, we thank you that your word is alive. Your word is powerful. Thank you, Father God, that you, you want us to grow in your word. You want your church established in the word of God. You want your church walking in your ways and understanding and filled with revelation and understanding of the word of God. So, Father, I ask right now that you'll open the eyes of our understanding. Help each one of us to see. Help us to receive today. Help us to hear and to, to have hearing ears, to hear what the Spirit of God is saying, what the Word of God is saying. And, and we open our hearts to, to, to receiving understanding and wisdom and revelation from you, from your Word today, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we welcome your Spirit here. We welcome you here. Father God, we want to welcome your presence and welcome you to, to, to move and to minister to people in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, these, uh, these Saturday mornings, um, we focus on, on teaching, teaching the word. And some of you, if, you, if you've uh, heard about what topic we're going to be doing, we're going to be looking at Book of Acts Christianity. Uh, not just a study of the book of Acts, and that's why it's not just called Book of Acts, but Book of Acts Christianity. We want to know what, what the book of Acts is, is, is teaching us about what the church should be and what the church should look like and what Christianity and what we should look like and what, what, what we should expect. Amen? And um, it, it's, it, the reason I'm doing this is because I believe there's things that God wants to do in the body of Christ. There's things that God wants to do in this nation. And there's things that, that, that he wants to stir in the hearts of people. And, and, and a big part of that's going to come through his word. He wants to show us things. How many, of you, how, how many of you know God wants to show us things from his word? He wants us to see. He wants us to understand. God, God gave us his word to understand. But it's not just to be understood with the mind, with the intellect. Uh, the spirit of God on the inside will teach you. I often say this, that, that God wrote his word in such a way that it requires the author to understand his word or the help of the author. Did you get that? Amen. God wrote his word in such a way that it requires the help of the author to understand it. It's like understanding of it is locked unless you have the help of the author. You, you can study the Word of God intellectually. You can, you, you can go, you know, study out Bible facts and information and still have no idea what God's actually saying. And pe there's people who've spent many years studying the Word of God and studying the Bible as an intellectual textbook, and yet they have no idea what God is saying. You, you can know Greek. You can know Hebrew. And believe me, as, it's, as, as, a, as a teacher and as a student of the Word, I look up the Greek and the Hebrew. I, I do study. But you see, you can know Greek and Hebrew and still not know God. You can, you, you can be able to read the Bible in the original text and the original language and still have no idea what God is saying because it requires the help of the author. The Holy Spirit, Scripture is inspired. Yeah. And understanding of Scripture requires Him bringing it to light to your heart. So it's not just about getting it with your head, it's about getting it with your heart. 
This is one of the reasons many Christians, many, many people have learned Bible truths. They've learned, you know, seven steps to answered prayer and how to believe God for this and, 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 and how to worship. And, and they, they've learned the information and the facts, but it's here. And a lot of it's not translating into results in their lives because they're not walking in the revelation of it. And this is why it's important. This is why we're doing these teachings and ongoing and the words preached in this church. But we're doing these as an ongoing basis because even people who've been to Bible school need to be stirred up and to keep hearing the word. I know many people who've been to Bible school and, 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 they, and they study the word at Bible school and they do two years, three years, four years. And after graduating Bible school, they never grow in the word ever again. I've taught in Bible school for 20 years, 20, 26 years. And I've seen people who, who go to Bible school, they get a lot of amazing teaching. But from the day they graduate Bible school, they never really progress much further in their Christian life. They float along and, and, and because they're not walking in it, they're not keeping it alive in their lives. And this is why we got to stir it up with, with, with teaching like this, to keep it alive, to keep the word of God alive and fresh. You have to stay in the word and stay walking in the word if you want it working in your life. Amen. It's not the truth you heard 10 years ago that's going to set you free. It's the truth you're walking in today that's going to set you free. So uh, a few introductory things there, but as we study the book of Acts, I'm not just, I'm not just looking for facts and information and details. I want to hear what is it that the spirit of God wants us to, to get from this book? What does he put, what in the book of Acts is he speaking to us today about? What is he saying to us today through the book of Acts as we look at some things? Are you, are you, you hungry? You ready to receive? You ready to hear what he, what he has for us? Well, you see, the book of, let me give you a little bit of information. The book of Acts is, is, it's really, it's the only historical book in the Bible after the resurrection. Now, there's plenty of historical books before the, before the resurrection of Jesus. And the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they contain historical uh, details and, and events. But the book of Acts is technically the only uh, it's the only historical book after the resurrection of Jesus. Now, that's important. There's an important detail there. Because, uh, you know, we've got Romans, Galatians, Corinthians, Ephesians, Revelation, you know, and, and those are doctrinal books. They're letters. They're letters written to the church. And they certainly contain a, 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 a important doctrine. But why has God given us this one history book? Is it just... To, 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 so that we can read it and have an idea of how it all started and then forget about it? No. The, the, the book of Acts is the only practical example, or put it this way, the only practical scriptural example we have of the church in action. You ever think about that? Now, we've got lots of, we've got lots of doctrinal things about the church in the epistles, and there, there's certainly some things where Paul addresses some situations going on in churches. There's some practical things in there. I'm not saying there's zero in the epistles, but the book of Acts shows the life of the church, and it shows in, in an ex, in example form. It shows us what the church looks like, how the church functions, and, and, and God's expectation of the church. Now, 
couple of things. First of all, if, if what we look at today looks different to the book of Acts, then we've got, to pause, we've got to pause and ask some questions. We've either got to say this, well, you know, book of Acts just for the book of Acts, and now God's just doing a complete, the church has evolved and changed and become something completely different. Or have we drifted off some things in some areas and not necessarily walking in? See, someone, someone says, well, you know, the book, in the book of Acts, you're welcome to come and sit down if you want to. You don't have to stand at the door. Okay, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> I just thought maybe you didn't want to disturb by coming in. <laughs> okay. So, so someone says this. Someone says, well, the book of Acts is, um, was the, you know, it was the young church. It was the, the kind of the baby church, the church just being birthed. And we've matured since then. So we're going to be different. Well, here's the question. If that is the case. Now, I, I do understand in the book of Acts, you know, it takes time to develop ministry gifts. It takes time to develop pastoral gifts. It takes time to develop teachers, evangelists. Do you understand that? People develop. And so in the book of Acts, some of the ministry gifts may not have been fully developed. And there were things that developed over time through the book of Acts uh, and, and certain things like that. But if, if we just turn around and say that the book of Acts is just the, the young early church and we've matured, then here's the question. What standard do we have today to measure ourselves against to determine whether we're on track or not. If the book of Acts was just the early church and was only applicable to then and bears almost no relevance to what we look like today, how can we look at us and compare us to Scripture and know that we're walking in, looking the same? Well, we can't. If we're going to say, well, we've changed, none of that applies anymore. You know, no, this doesn't apply, this doesn't apply. Well, we don't have, that was just for the apostles. If we write it all off, how can we know whether we're still walking on track in some things? Without a, everything is to be judged by the word of God. Everything, doctrine, everything should be judged by the word of God. And yes, we judge by the spirit of God on the inside of us as well. But we, so God's given us more than one witness. There's some people who don't know the word and they try and judge everything by the spirit and, 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 and they get it wrong sometimes because the word and the spirit, they, they work together. They're more than one witness and the witnesses should witness with each other. This is why people who don't know the word, if they're just, just trying to witness everything by the spirit, well, I can judge by the spirit. How do you know you are judging by the spirit and not just your opinion half the time? Amen. God's given us more than one witness. And these things are supposed to bear witness with each other. My spirit bears witness with the Holy Spirit inside of me. The Holy Spirit bears witness to the word of God. Jesus said he will speak of the things and remind you of the things that I said. You see how these things all to work together. So if we have no scriptural example of what the church looks like and we're only just supposed to judge it all by the spirit on the inside we're missing a witness and this is what people do they write things oh well that was just for the apostles that was just for them that was just for them they destroy one of the witnesses so that they can redefine it based upon what they claim is a witness they're getting on the inside but there's no basis to god gave us his word 
judge and to determine and to make sure that what we're getting by the Spirit is in line with Scripture. But if you eliminate the Scripture option, how can we determine whether what someone's getting is by the Spirit? Do you see what I'm saying? Now, this applies in our Christian lives, applies in our own individual lives, but it also applies when we talk about the church, the body of Christ. What does Christianity look like by God's standards, by biblical standards? Well, we have to go to the Word, look in the Word, and yes, like I said, we can find some things elsewhere. There's types and shadows in the prophetic scriptures. There's things in the, the epistles. But the practical example that He's given us is the book of Acts. And we can't neglect that. So we need to, we need to, we need to decide. Now, what if we look at the book of Acts and we realize we're not measuring up? Not just us as individuals. I don't know about you, but I believe the church can come higher. I believe we can walk in a higher place. I, 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 and I've said this before, but it bears repetition. But I, I've had enough of, <laughs> please don't, don't get me wrong. I love studying past revivals. But I've had enough of hearing what they had and looking at what we've got, thinking, how come they had much more? <laughs> the Bible says God goes from glory to glory, strength to strength, faith to faith. Why is it that we have to look back in the past to see some of the greatest demonstrations of the Spirit of God when, when, when we should be walking in some things? Well, part of it is because in some areas, God's got to realign us to be to function the way he, he shows us in his word to function, bring us into alignment. This is why the word of God is so important. We live in a day where the word and the spirit are important. It's important that we function both together and we know how to work both together. But if we're misinterpreting and we're writing off portions of the word, then we're going we're gonna to find we're not functioning right. Amen? So, if we're not measuring up, well, let, let me finish the thought I was saying a moment ago. I, 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 I don't want to phrase it like this. Like I said, I do, I do love hearing about what God's done in the past, but part of me has had enough of hearing about what's God, what God's done in the past, and I'm, I'm, I'm like Gideon. You know what Gideon? You remember Gideon? Gideon, Gideon, um, Gideon was threshing, it was the Midianites. He was threshing wine in the wine press, wasn't he? And the Midianites had been attacking the land, and the, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. And you know what Gideon said? Where are the miracles that my forefathers talked about? Where, where is it? That's a bit what I'm like today. <laughs> where is these manifestations of the glory and the anointing? Well, it's a part of it's because we can come higher. And the Spirit of God is calling us higher, and He's drawing us higher, and He is awakening hearts, and He's awakening those who are going to respond to come higher, because there's a higher place to function in. But you realize there's a job to be done, to get the body of Christ higher. It's not just an overnight thing. It's not just one or two of us come, uh, coming higher. We've got, to, we've got to bring churches up. We've got to bring entire groups of Christians up onto another level of walking in the Word and walking closer to God. That's a bit of a job to do. But thank God we're not doing it alone. The Spirit of God's helping us with that. But when we look at the book of Acts, and we're going to look at some things in just a moment, and we begin to realize there's some things we're, we're not quite measuring up in some areas. Yeah? We're not, we're not there. Well, we don't, we, don't, we don't respond by making excuses. This is what people do. So people look in the Bible. They see healing in the Bible. They look 
at, at, at their church or their lives or what they've seen. They see no healings taking place and they start making excuses saying, well, God's not doing it anymore. When you look at the way something is in the Bible and you look at the way things are now, don't start making excuses and say, oh, well, well, that all passed away. Begin to say, Father God, you've given me your word. I want to believe to come up to the level that your word shows me is available. If we're not walking in that, if we're not experiencing the fullness of that, let's start to believe God to come up to that. Let's start to seek the Spirit of God. Let's start to have some people that become hungry for God and lay on their faces before God and begin to say, Father God, teach me, show me how to walk in these things. Show me what we need to see. Open my eyes. I want to open my heart so that we can begin to experience the manifestation of the glory and the power and the presence of God like we see in Scripture and like my heart knows you've been saying is, is, is for us to walk in. Amen? So we believe God. So as we look at some things in the book of Acts, we want to believe God. We want to put our faith on some things. This is what I want to stir in you. This isn't just an intellectual course. This is to stir you in some areas and begin to begin stirred up. It's like these are truths that God's revealing to us. You know, when I look, when I look in Acts, uh, I, I, just, just some general comments for now, and then I'll, I'll give you some specific examples. I, I don't know about you, but they shook cities. Yeah. You, I didn't get quite the response from that. I should have got People are like, yeah, yeah, well, so what? So what? They shook cities. No, no, no. They shook cities. It's not just, yeah. Okay. Please, please hear my heart. As a teacher, I often say this. I'm not condemning, but as a teacher, sometimes we need to point some things out and correct. There are times you need to say some things and say, hold on, pause, let's think. I know churches where, where, I know churches in towns where I know people who live on, down the street from that church and they don't even know there's a church down there. 30 meters, 100 meters down the road, they don't even know there's a church there. <laughs> that, that's, a, that, that's a problem. Because in the book of Acts, it wasn't just about functioning in the walls. What happened on the day of Pentecost? The, the introduction to the church, 120 of them in, in, in the walls, in the upper room within the building. What, began, what happened? When the Holy Spirit was poured out? Someone says, I, I've never heard this one before. Does anyone ever heard of the day, about the day of Pentecost? I understand we've all got different levels of scriptural knowledge. So if you don't know, don't worry. But what happened in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, there were 120 of them in the upper room. But, you know, within moments, it had gone beyond the upper room. It had gone beyond the confines of just the wall. They were, the walls were there. By the time Peter's preaching, he's preaching out on the streets. The manifestation of the Spirit of God. And it's not just he planned an evangelistic time out on the streets. The Holy Spirit overflowed the church building. And then 3,000 people get saved. Well, they couldn't fit that 3,000 in the upper room, I don't think. That would have been a big upper room, but as far as I know, it wasn't that big. Where, where, where did the 3,000 come from? They were the people just around the community in the houses and the buildings and the places next door. When the Spirit of God began to move, they knew about it. How often has that happened in, in, in recent times? 
Now, I've heard times before, we'll talk a little bit about past revival. I believe it was Charles Finney. I might, might be wrong on who this was. But I believe people used to say when he walked into town, people on the other side of town would fall on their face and start repenting. Because the presence of God came into the whole city. So the, the book of Acts starts with a massive overflow beyond the building of the beyond the walls of the church. Now I, I, again, thank God when we get touched by the Holy Spirit. I love it when we have a time. Man, we we we've had some good meetings. I, mean, I remember some of them, and you know, you remember some of them from where we come from. And the Spirit of God in some amazing times. But when I look at in the book of Acts, I don't see the Holy Spirit just touching believers and they all go along their merry way. I see overflow into the surroundings. I see an overflow going into the community in the book of Acts. To some degree, we've lost the vision of that. We need to start beginning to begin to say, Father God, pour your spirit in this building so that those houses begin to feel and sense the presence of God on this place. Not just, Lord, bless me and let's go on our merry way. But when you look in Acts, just, just let me read you a couple of scriptures. You don't have to. Acts chapter 2 is the one I mentioned. But Acts, Acts chapter 13, verse 44. You might not get to all of these. I'll read some of these quicker. Acts chapter 13. Did it just happen on the day of Pentecost? No. Acts 13, 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Where's that kind of scripture being fulfilled these days? Now, there might be some places in the world where things like that have happened. But again, I say this to people all the time. Praise God for what God does in other countries. I'm believing God for revival all around the world. But I'm here. I want it here too. So someone said to me, well, why do you always talk about the UK and England? And you know, what about, what about this country? Don't you pray for them? I'm like, of course. But God has told us, yeah, this is where our commission is. Jesus, Jesus, even when he sent his disciples out, he said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, start where you are. So many people are, 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 in this country are focused everywhere. Else. Now, okay, if God's calling you, that, you know, again, I don't want to say this critically, but sometimes I'm wondering, where's all the ones that got a heart for this country? Because <laughs> okay? start where we are. So praise God for, 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 for what God does in other countries. I want this kind of city-changing thing in this nation. I want the city-shaking moves of the Spirit of God, where the city is shaken to the core. I say, so, oh, yeah, but that was the book of Acts. You see, there you go again. Don't write it all. God put this in there. He's shown us the kind of things that we should begin to expect and begin to believe God. For when the Spirit of God manifests, I look in the Word of God and I begin to look at scriptures like I just read you in Acts 13, 44, and I begin to say, Father God, I want to see that. I want to see city-shaking moves of the Spirit of God. Now, again, I'm not saying this with the intention to criticize. I'm, I'm saying this with the intention of a question mark. How come we got churches, sorry, cities, where there's two, three, four, five hundred churches. And there's no city shaking going on. I mean, they just needed one church and they shook the city. What about, what about the places we got 300 churches in some of our cities? Do you, do you see? I'm saying that to criticize. I'm saying that to let's put a question mark. Let's begin to say, whoa, Lord, 
We need to come up. We need to stop playing our games. We need to stop trying to impress people with my talent, my ability, draw attention to me, my ministry. And let's just begin to get on our faces and cry out for the move of the Spirit of God as a body of Christ. Is it right if I just preach it this morning instead of teach it? I'm just going to flap and run around. You guys are welcome to respond. Yeah, I'm getting a bit hot. I'm sweating away. But, you know, sometimes I don't know if I'm going to be nice and calm up here or if I'm just going to rev it up and go. You never know what you're going to get from me. The amount of times I get up here and I think, I'm going to be really calm. I'm just going to be line upon line. I'm going to give a good teaching today. We're going to go like this. And then I get up here and it never happens like that. And I think, Lord, when? You want to, I can teach like that. You go and look at some of the online ones. That I can literally, I can teach line upon line. <laughs> but I look at this and I say, okay, Father God, you gave us the book of Acts. You gave us, you showed us this in the church. You showed that overflow, that overspill, shaking the environment, shaking the city. God, let's get on our faces and let's, go, let's begin to believe God for that. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of people, yeah. I know there's people who say, yes, we're going to fill stadiums. And I believe that we're putting our faith on that. We want to believe God to, to, get, to get into stadiums and to see the city shake it. But let's really make it a point of beginning to see God in that area. You can say, Father God, bring us up to this level. I want to, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Can this scripture give me faith for city shaking? That wasn't in my notes. I just thought that right there. Let me read you some others. Acts 17. It wasn't, it wasn't all exciting sitting, city shaking as well. Some, some of it was the move of the Spirit of God, but look at some of these. Acts 17, 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob, set all the city in an uproar. <laughs> They set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jacob and Jake, Jake, Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. The whole city was in an uproar because of what was happening in the church and what was being preached. I'll talk about this, this a, bit, a little bit later, but you know what Jesus said they're going to hate us? I mean, there's some things I'm going to say about that a little bit later on. But, but you know, just, just because they hate you for preaching the gospel doesn't, doesn't mean you back down. Amen? Yeah, the whole city. But notice again, the whole city was affected by what was going on in the church in that city. The body of Christ. We need, we need to become dissatisfied. We need to become dissatisfied with the status quo. Dissatisfied. Guys, you come to one of my meetings, we're going to ruffle some feathers, okay? We're going to shake it up a little bit because we need this in the we need this in this country. We need, to, we need to, to, to shake some things up a little bit and to stir up and begin to say, we can have this in the United Kingdom. We can have it. Yes, we've had, the, we've had it in days gone past. I look, I look at some of the revivals that have happened in this country and the things that have happened in this country. People talk about this place is a hard place. This is a hard city. That's a hard city. Right now, I'm thinking, let's, let's find the hard places and let's go in there and smack it. Show, show, show those hard places who really is God. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about who's in me. <laughs> Enough of this, oh, it can't happen here. Oh, it's hard here. Let's become, begin a people who begin to realize not only can a city be shaken, but a nation can be shaken by the power of God. 
Nothing's too hard for my God. Nothing's too hard. Now we say, oh, nothing's too hard, except, you know, the city just down the road. That's a really hard. No, you just told me nothing's too hard. Amen. Nothing's too hard in this country. And, and you see others. We see other Acts 19. Just, we, we don't have to read, read all of them. Acts 19, 29. So the whole city, the whole city was filled with confusion. This is, again, they're reacting. This is the animosity, the anger being stirred up. The whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and, and all the others and the Paul's traveling companions. Acts 21, 30, and all the city was disturbed and the people ran together, seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. You see, do you see that repetition? The whole city. Either the, the overflow of the manifestation of the Spirit of God or the effect of the enemy stirring people up, but it's on a citywide scale. I mean, people get, when, when, when two or three people them. Wait until the whole city rises up against you in uproar. <laughs> Amen. You're not doing to, you know, Paul, Paul had that. He was, oh, but that was Paul. There was the post. There you go again. Stop all this. That was just for them. That was just Paul. That was, the, that was just the apostles. No, this is, this is what God's shown us, the effect of his church. We've tolerated this. We've accepted. We've come to the place where we've become comfortable with just having a nice meeting. And we don't, it doesn't matter if we don't shake the city. We need, we, we need some of the, the revivalists, the Wesleys, the Finneys, the, 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 the Robertses, the, the Wigglesworth. We need some of these to begin to stir people up and say, let's, let's become dissatisfied with where we are. And let's begin to believe God for a higher level and a manifestation of the Spirit of God that shakes Southport. Amen. I want to tell you something. We look in the book of Acts, you see rapid growth, you see rapid expansion. 120, 3,000, 5,000. This is what God has presented to us. Oh, yes, brother, but it doesn't happen here. Like, no, no, remember what I said. Stop talking to yourself out of it. Begin to say, if Lord, if this is what you've presented to us as the church, this is the only practical example we have in the Bible. Of the church in action. Isn't it? It's the only historical book of the church after the resurrection of Jesus. The only practical example we have. So this is the word concerning what the church looks like. Say, oh yeah, but you know, it doesn't happen like that anymore. Remember what I said. If, if we're not getting that, what do we do? Do we make excuses? Or do we begin to say, Father God, we want to come up to that level. We want to go, start believing God. We want to start stirring up believers and start stirring up the body of Christ and more and more believers. And we're doing it and others are doing it and stir people up and begin to believe Amen. God can shake Amen. this nation. Amen. Do you know what? It wasn't, it wasn't all the natural factors that did it. I was thinking about this. You know, again... Okay, I don't want to specifically point at any particular people, particular groups. But, you know, people look for all the natural reasons in the book of Acts why, why the church was successful. You know, and you get some groups that say, it's because they all met in houses. It's because they didn't have buildings. They all met in houses. I'm like, well, actually, they met in the synagogue, too. And they met, and there were times when Paul was in cities. They, they met in other places. They didn't just meet in houses. But, you see, 
when, when I was thinking about this, and I'm saying this because we've got to point some things out. People try to look for all the natural reasons why the church was successful. And it's because we think it's all about how good your marketing is. Or how good your people skills are. Or how many theology degrees you have. They didn't have any of that. They didn't have polished preachers and eloquent sermons and theological degrees. They didn't have training in people skills and how to market and how to build your church three steps to this. They didn't have that. And yet they did more than we're doing. It's because they understood that God is looking for yielded, consecrated vessels that His Spirit can manifest and flow through. That's all it needs. People hungry for the Word, hungry for God, hungry for the Spirit of God, and yielded and consecrated. And the Spirit of God. It says it's. It was like I said. It wasn't in all that marketing and all the other things. People say, oh, you know, like I said, it's that. It's 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 because they made in houses. They didn't have church buildings. That's why it was successful. I'm like, I'm sorry, that's not the reason. Because I, that reminds me of something Jesus said. The woman at the well came to Jesus and she said, should we worship in Jerusalem or Samaria? What was she asking? Was she asking all about location? Is it in the location? She's doing it in Jesus said, time's coming when it's not about the location anymore. Basically, that's my paraphrase. Go read it, John 4. She asked him, Is it, should we do it in Jerusalem or Samaria? And Jesus said, no, the Father's seeking those to worship him in spirit and in truth, but it's not about the location, not about where. That's not going to be the priority anymore. It's not about whether, whether it's a house or a building or a field or whatever else. It's about whether you've got the spirit of God in that place. And whether you're yielded and you're walking in his, in his power and his presence. What's it going to take to, be that, to walk in that kind of power and presence? What's it going to take? <laughs> Let's look at something else. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Everybody there? Verse 46. Everybody there? Acts 2.46. So continuing daily. Is everyone reading it? Is that what yours said? Continuing how often? With one accord in the temple. Okay, and, and yes, there it says, and breaking bread from house to house. Okay, so they did use houses. I'm not saying they didn't use houses, but they, that's not the secret of the success. Okay? They ate food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Oh, my word, you can get a lot out of this scripture. You know, it's amazing how hard it is to get a lot of people to, to, to turn up to church once a week these days. Yeah. How often did they get together? How often was, there, was this group gathering? Daily. You, say, you have three services a week? Oh. <laughs> Again, I'm not saying this to criticize, but do you see a difference? Do you see a difference? How often were they getting together? Continuing? Daily. And, and, and someone would say, I do have a daily walk with the Lord. It's me and the Lord and my personal time. Sorry, sorry. What does it say? So continuing daily, each in the field by themselves. 
seeking the Lord. What does it say? Continue, continuing daily where? Where? And, and house to house. Does that give you the impression they were gathering together daily? It's not just, it's not just they were, uh, well, you know, I, 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 know we, I know we have prayer meetings in our church, but, you know, I pray by myself and it's okay. No. Well, okay. Yes, pray by yourself. Please have a relationship with God. <laughs> I'm not saying to have a relationship with God. We teach people to have a relationship with God. But something stirs in me. I begin to look at this and I begin to say, okay, Lord, I want to know what a church, what the book of Acts Christianity, what a book of Acts church looks like. And I begin to see they didn't have problem getting, getting the people together. They began to gather daily on a daily basis. They wanted to be together, seek God, break bread. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And, and, and in verse 47 praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, how often? Now, I know a lot of people want that to happen, but they don't want the previous verse to happen. Lord, add to our church daily. Well, they were added to daily, but they were getting together daily. Now, I'm not, I'm not laying down we must all get together daily. It's up to you to decide. We, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll leave this with you. But, 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 it is a challenge to get Christians together more than three times a week. So, are we having a, we're having a service in town? Yeah, I've already been to two services this week, you know. It's a bit much. <laughs> okay, I'm saying that mockingly, not trying to condemn, but trying to just say, whoa, hold on, let's take a look. Let's, let, let, do you see a difference? Is this only one verse? Look at Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Verse 42. What does it say? Someone. Acts chapter 5, verse 42. There it is again. And daily in the temple and in every house. See, it wasn't just the houses, yeah? I'm trying to find where this lid opens. I'm pulling it at the wrong place. Daily in the temple. And in every house. They did not cease teaching. Did not cease. Non-stop. Going, 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 going. Teach, teach, teach. I have a passion for teaching. But it doesn't just say they were preaching. It says they were te did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They're teaching on a, a, Acts 5.42. This is a, the, 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 there's a pumping out of material going on. You see what I'm saying? Again, I'm not dictating churches must have meetings every day, but, 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 but I'm saying maybe we, we, there's some things we should really begin to, to stir. Begin to say, you know, I, I read of revivals. Here we go. I, I said a moment ago, I'm fed up of hearing revivals in the past, and then I keep quoting them as God's sense of humor, because that wasn't in my intentions. I, I read about in revivals of the past, the hunger that led up to the revival and the seeking God and the times people would, would seek God on a daily basis. And I think I said this here last time, or I said it in Warrington, but Jackie read something from Reese Howells about during World War II, about how they prayed every night, every night, from 7 o'clock at night to midnight. How long is that? 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 5 hours every day. 
I'm wondering how many Christians we could get together for a daily, should we start one? Daily five-hour prayer meeting. (laughs) That would be really interesting. I'm like, how many after a week would even be showing up anymore? What does this tell you about the difference between Book of Acts Christianity? And then we say, yes, Lord, we want the power and the miracles like they had. We do. But I, I look and I begin to say, hold on a second here. This, these people were hungry. These people, they wanted the word. They wanted to get in the presence of God. They, 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 they were moving in toward the things of God. And, 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 and you know, I'm going to say this, because I said a moment ago about a lot of people go to Bible school. And then they grow for two years, three years of Bible school. And then after Bible school, they just never really get in the Word anymore because they've become content with what they got three years ago in Bible school. Yeah. I've seen it. Have you seen it? I've seen people. I, I, I still see some of them these days. You bump into them. And I, I, I know I taught them 10 years ago in Bible school. And it's very clear they've never moved on from, from that point. They've never grown from there because they're content with what they got there. I wasn't content with what I got at Bible school. This is why 26 years later, I'm still hungry and studying in the Word. I still want to know more. I still want to grow. I want to get in the truths I learned. Even the, the, I go into my notes. I spent years after Bible school going back into my notes, studying them. Years. Building it into me, getting hungry for it. And again, please don't, I'm not trying to say this to condemn. I really, my intention not to condemn today. I know I keep saying, pointing some things and things, but I'm trying, uh, but, but it's good to stir. Amen. But what I've noticed is people become content with the level that they've reached. And then they lose the hunger for driving on anymore. I was talking to someone, one of the ladies who, who prayed us down. Um, and, and, and she said to me, she said, I, I'm trying to invite people to your meetings. This is that's another place. He says, but they, but they all say, well, we've done Bible courses before. We don't need to do Bible courses anymore. I'm like, There's your problem. There's your problem right there. There's your problem. No hunger anymore. Content. I, I, I learned about those truths. I mean, I'm, I'm content now. We, 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 need to, we need to get hungry for the word of God as if you've never heard it before. Get, get, get stirred and say, I want to know about these truths afresh. God, God sometimes reminds me of the hunger I had when I was younger. And, and again, I don't say this to draw attention to myself because I'm, I'm not the kind of person who wants to draw attention to myself, but, but sometimes the illustrations work. But I remember as a teenager, and this is before I went to Bible school. This is, I was 15, 16 years old. I remember I, I went and I got, my, my parents had a massive library of of, of Good word books. And I took the whole pile of them and I just stuck them by my bed. I had a whole pile of these books. And I just spent the summer reading them, my summer holidays. That's what I did in my summer holidays. And I took all of the, the, mag- the Word of Faith magazines. They had them back like, to, that was, this was now late 80s. They had them into the 70s, my parents. They had them a decade worth of monthly magazines, teaching magazines. And I took the whole pile, I stuck them by my bed, and I just started reading through every article. Soaking it in, soaking it in. And, 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 and I made up my mind one summer I was going to read the Bible. I think it was my 
GCC summer because it was a slightly longer one. You graduate earlier because of exams finishing. And, and I thought, yeah, what am I going to do this summer? I'm going to read the whole Bible. And I, and I just began to consume scriptures. And I, I wasn't trying to study it per se for that reading. I just wanted to read the whole Bible. And, and, and people say, how long did it take you? It took me 90 days. Now, that's not a boast in the sense of trying to draw attention to me. That's an illustration in the sense of hunger. And I was consuming the word. I wanted, I, was like, I wanted to understand another word. And even after all of that, I still went to Bible school. <laughs> and even after all of that, coming out of Bible school, I soaked in my notes and I wanted to know and understand. Grow. I'm illustrating that because the, the, I don't see that. I don't see a lot of that. That kind of hunger. There's a lot of people talking about what we need in this country. Oh, we, we need some great preacher to come and shape, you know. The, no, what we need is the body of Christ in this nation to just get hungry for God. Churches begin to cry out, begin to say, Father God, we want to see the kind of things that we saw in the book of Acts. Do you? Anyone here want to see? I do. So it wasn't about, wasn't about, their, 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 their marketing skills, their, their, their eloquent preaching, their education levels, wasn't whether they had theology degrees or didn't have theology degrees. It wasn't how many, you know, ministerial associations they belonged to. You know, it, was, it, was, it, was, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't how, how, I don't know, it wasn't whatever. It wasn't their people skills. It was the fact that they were filled with the Spirit of God. Saturated in the Spirit of God. And that's how Acts opens. Acts opens to, to talk about this, this Holy Spirit. Yeah, go, go to Acts chapter 1 quickly. People say, how long does he preach? I'm like, I, I never know. We might finish session 1 around 3 o'clock. <laughs> no, don't worry. I will stop and have a break in a minute. We usually we do three teaching sessions, but I don't keep keep them strictly to a time. I probably should because I always eat into Tony's time. But I want to finish this point because the next my next session today I want to we're going to look at something specific. Look at Acts chapter one, verse four. Acts chapter one and verse four. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Now let's just pause there for a moment. Now People have taught about how you must wait for the Holy Spirit. There's all kinds of teachings about this. My usual response to that is, if, if you're going to teach that Jesus said you have to wait for the Holy Spirit, you also have to teach you must do it in Jerusalem. Because he said, wait in Jerusalem. So don't take half of what he said. Why are you going to wait for the Holy Spirit? No, no, no. He said, wait in Jerusalem. Okay? <laughs> do, do not depart from Jerusalem. But that's not the point of what was going on here. They were waiting for the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit on God's calendar of events, the day of Pentecost. They didn't wait that long either. They didn't wait five years. Jesus died. Yeah? How long was he in the grave? About, you know, depending on exactly how you count it, we usually say three days. How many days did he appear to his disciples? Anyone know? 40. So from the Passover, you got three days dead. You know, I'm, 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 I don't, I'm not going to debate about which day exactly what hour he died, but let's just look at this in, in estimates. Three days from Passover, 
So he rises from the dead. 40 days, he, he, he appears to his disciples. That's 43 days, yeah? Total. The day of Pentecost, does anyone know what it's called? Pent. He cost. 50. It's 50 days after Passover. Every time. Pent Pentecost is, is that right? 50 days after Passover in the calendar of events. 43 of those days have already been used up. So when Jesus ascends into heaven and says, wait in the city of Jerusalem, they had seven days left until Passover. Eight, nine, if you really want to, depending on how you count the day. They didn't wait that long. This wasn't a five-year wait. You get people teaching waiting, and maybe 10 years later, they're still waiting. Like if you're waiting for the Holy Spirit that long, something's wrong. <laughs> it's seven, seven to 10 days maximum. Okay? But notice this. Why did you, now, how many, of you, how many of you understand Jesus said to them, go? Anyone ever read the Great Commission? Mark 16. I'm not going to debate which commission should be in the Bible or not. I'm just going to, we're going to go with Mark 16. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel. Matthew 28 also says, go, go and make disciples. Jesus told them to go. And this was an instruction he gave them after he was raised from the dead. He said, go. And as they're running out the door, he says, wait. <laughs> and they're like, which is it? Go or wait? Go or wait? Jesus, you said go. Now you say wait. It's both. But what Jesus is trying to show them is go, but don't just rush out the door in your own strength. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Jesus wanted to make sure they had that equipping to get the job done because Jesus knew that's the only thing that's going to make the difference. It's the only thing that's going to make the difference. Now, I've just done some teaching in the last couple of months here on the, the Spirit of Ponce. I'm not going to be talking as much. I will talk a little bit about the, the Holy Spirit because you can't talk about the book of Acts without talking about the Holy Spirit. But this is the point. This right here is the key to the book of Acts. From verse 4 up to verse 8. Not their marketing skills, not their people skills, not that they, 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 they did it all in houses. It's the role the Holy Spirit played. And this is, this, I wanna, I'm going to end this session on this point. This is so important. This is so powerful. This is so vital to two things. Jesus himself directly connected the Holy Spirit to power in verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Someone, someone says, oh, yeah, but that doesn't, you know, we don't have the power. It doesn't apply anymore. Just, just wait. Jesus, who's Jesus, by the way? Who is he? In relation to us, who is he? Is he our Lord and Savior? Is he the head of the church? Is there any theologian ever, before, since, after, any theologian on another planet, who knows more than Jesus, the head of the church, and who's, who's more correct than Jesus? If Jesus connected the Holy Spirit to power, then it's not up to us to break that connection. He says you'll have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And someone says, well, we don't seem to have much power. What did I say at the start? It's rise to the level. Put up and begin to say, that's what Jesus said. Let's begin to say, Father, that's what you said. Now, teacher, show us. Why? Why, why? why is it blocking? Why is it not flowing? What, what's going on? Why? We, whatever it is. But help me, Lord. I want to get up to that level. Amen? That's not the point I wanted to make. But Jesus connected the Holy Spirit, connected the Holy Spirit. And, and, and Peter, 
stood up and said, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Quoted Joel, the first message preached in the church. He identifies, this is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is what God has said is coming. This is the fulfillment of the promise. These are the days of the Holy Spirit upon the believers. These are the days of the Spirit upon the church. These are the days. And the thing is, this is what you need to understand. The enemy has done everything he can to wipe the Holy Spirit out the church. He did it right the way back in the first century. He got the church into operating in formality with no spirit. And even in the recent hundred years, when we've seen outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we've seen some of the greatest attack on the church has come concerning doctrines of the Holy Spirit. Trying to shut the Holy Spirit down. Won't let the Holy Spirit flow. Won't let the Holy Spirit move. Why? Who's motivating that? The enemy. Because the enemy knows this is the key. This is the key. So he has, he has stirred up more false doctrine, more confusion, more controversy about the Holy Spirit than pretty much any other doctrine. Christians argue over tongues, not tongues, filled, not filled. Do you get it all when you become a Christian? Is there a second? They argue, 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 argue. But in the midst of it all, confusion and people back off. It's Christians that are they're ashamed to even talk about tongues anymore. They're ashamed to even talk about different things. What's going on here? The enemy wants the Holy Spirit shut down in the church. He wants us to back off. We need to wisen up. Just a little illustration. In the Old Testament, how many of you remember uh, Moses made the, the tabernacle? We call it the tabernacle. Well, he didn't necessarily personally make it, but, you know, we, we call it the tabernacle of Moses, yeah? So there was the tabernacle of Moses, the one they had in the wilderness. There was the Ark of the Covenant and the, the everyone, yeah? Some of you looking at me like, I heard of the tabernacle of Moses. Okay. Yeah, we all know. Now, that tabernacle, as they were traveling through the wilderness, they packed it up every time they moved, yeah? Uh, every time the cloud moved, they followed the cloud. That's another whole teaching there. They didn't just go their own way. Cloud represents the glory and presence of God, which is also the Holy Spirit. Everywhere that cloud went, they went. They didn't go left when the cloud went right. Well, the cloud's going right, but my doctrine says that's the way to go. Stop that stuff and connect in with the cloud. This is why there's no city shaking going on. You're going to wake some people up. I don't know. I don't know. If I've got to shake some people and just stand up here and flap away and preach away and say what needs to be said, I'll do it. <laughs> well, we don't like that kind of preaching around here. Oh, well, you got to get it from me. <laughs> You're a little bit louder than my pastor. That's all right. We love your pastor too. <laughs> what was I going to say? Tabernacle of Moses. So they packed it up. I got diverted on the cloud. But anyway, back to the tabernacle of Moses. They packed it up everywhere they went. They set the tabernacle up. That tabernacle was central to the camp. What was in the tabernacle? The tabernacle was not all about the sacrifices. But 
powerful things in the blood sacrifices. I don't have a problem with that. The tabernacle wasn't all about the outer court. That tabernacle was built for one purpose. God said in Exodus 25, verse 8, I believe it is, build me a tabernacle that I may dwell among them. It was his dwelling place. It was his presence. So everywhere they went, that tabernacle went. Sorry. Everywhere the cloud went, they went. And everywhere they went, they took the tabernacle with them. It was central. It was central in the camp. I've not studied all that. It's been a long time since I studied the positioning of all the tribes and stuff. But from what I remember, the tabernacle was right in the middle. Or very central. Is that correct? So I'm checking with Jackie and Tony. They, 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 they can help me with some Bible facts on that one. What is that telling you? Is it, is it because God wanted the blood sacrifices at the center of it all? No. He's dwelling with his presence. And in the tabernacle, what? In the Holy of Holies, right in the court. What was there? The presence of God typified in what? What item? The Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, it, 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 it represents. That's why when they went into battle, they took the Ark, because that was God's presence going with us. Amen? So they went all the way into the land. They took Moses' tabernacle with them, packed it up, put it up, packed it up. Now, how many of you remember, they, 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 they entered the land, if you know, if you kind of know the, the, the historical events, or if you, if, you, if you don't understand, people come with different levels of Bible knowledge. But basically, that tabernacle of Moses, they went into the land in the book of Joshua. Yeah? Now, when was the first temple built? Anyone know? Who built, who built the first temple? Solomon. Not David. So, Sol, during Solomon's life, the temple was built. So, Saul, David was king for 40 years, was it? Saul was king for 40 years. Before Saul was Samuel, who judged and was the prophet. And before that is the book of Judges, which takes about 300 years. So from Joshua to when the temple was built, you've got over 400 years. So where's the tabernacle? Okay, let's give you a history lesson. That tabernacle was set up in Shiloh. Anyone ever heard the name Shiloh? It got set up in a place called Shiloh, and that's where Eli ministered before the Lord, and that's where Samuel was raised. But during Samuel's lifetime, up until that time, the Ark of the Covenant was in that tabernacle. During what happened? Does anyone remember the battle with the Philistines when Eli, Eli and his sons Hophni and Phileas died because they were not honoring God? They didn't just lose their lives because of their lack of honor for God. What else did they lose? What, what got lost? What really got lost at that point? The Ark of the Covenant, which is why either one, Hophni or Phineas, when, her, when, when they, the wife received the news, I can't remember which it was, that the, the, he, he, whichever one it was, had died in battle, gave birth, and she named her child Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. Because the Ark of the Covenant was captured. It's taken into Philistine land. Now, what happened with it there? The Philistines soon realized you don't, you don't mess with the presence of God. Because, everywhere, because they, they did not have a right to have that Ark. 
And everywhere it went, it caused them problems. First of all, I think cancer was breaking out with some of them. So they were sending it from one place in the Philistines to the other. And they brought it, they put it with their god, Dagon. And they put the Ark of the Covenant next to their big idol of Dagon. They went away, all slept, came out in the morning, and their idol had fallen over flat on his face before the Ark. Big, not just a little idol, like the massive idol. They picked him up. They left him there again the next night. They came back the next day, he's fallen flat on his face again. I th- I'm not sure if they did it two or three times, but I think that the last time they did it, it had even broken. Because they, they didn't have a right to have the presence of God. They didn't have the right to have the Ark. But what happened after that? The Philistines eventually said, that, that thing's going back to Israel. They sent it back to Israel. And it was taken on a cart. And it was taken, and, and eventually, I can't remember all of the details exactly where it ended up in a place called Kirjath Jerem. Forgive my pronunciation. I'm not Hebrew. It stayed in the field. Now, I can't remember if it stayed in Kirjath Jerem or wherever, but from there. But you know, you know what never happened? It never went back to Shiloh. This is the point I want you to realize. Never went back. What happened in Shiloh? The temple, the tabernacle of Moses stayed set up. They continued going through the motions. Sound familiar? But no glory. No presence. Here's an interesting fact. The entire reign of Saul happened during that period of time. There was no glory in the temple, in the tabernacle. They continued going through the form of religion. But you know what was lacking? They had all the sacrifice. They do everything else. But you know what was lacking? The presence of God. And it wasn't until David came along. David got it on his heart. It's time to get this back in place. David brought it back. And I don't want to go through all the details. But he brought it back. But here again, you told me a moment ago, who set the, who set the, who, who set the, 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 the temple up? Solomon, David's son. So what did David do with the ark? Because it wasn't until Solomon came along that they built the, tab- the temple. So during David's reign, David brought it back. But w- what happened to it? Never went back to Shiloh. It never, ever went back to Shiloh. Once it was gone, it was gone. Never, ever returned there. David put the ark in a tent. It wasn't a three-layer three tent like outer court. What are the names? Outer court, the Holy of Holies. Okay, it wasn't, it wasn't the normal standard layout of the temple. It was a single tent. And he got worshippers. And anybody could come into that building. It was a completely different tabernacle. Now, I don't, want to, I don't want to go into the details of that. But you know what? David is very typical of some things in the New Testament, the New Covenant. He's the one who got the revelation of the shepherd long before anyone else did. But another whole teaching. The point I wanted to make was this. You can go through the motions. You can have all the marketing skills you want to. You can have all the people skills, all the programs. If there's no presence of God, you ain't going to shake cities. You're not going to have a book of Acts church. This has got to be our priority. This has got to be something we are hungry to be those kind of vessels. Amen? 
I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there for for, for the first session. We're not finished for the day. We're gonna have we'll have a coffee break, and then Tony will preach a bit, and then I'll come back for the third session. Amen. Praise God.